The following program is sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Homebridge Financial Services. Welcome to Open House with Team Reba. Each week, Team Reba will be bringing you a roundup of real estate and mortgage news, along with information about the local Puget Sound region, highlighting some of the best and brightest entertainment options, family events, neighborhood highlights, and local business interviews, so you can feel right at home in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome once again to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Hass from Team Reba, Remax Metro East Side, And I'm Eric Osnes from Homebridge Financial Home Mortgage. Happy weekend. Happy weekend. Here we go. Another episode of Open House with Team Reba. I know. We're getting really high up there. We're over 200 some episodes. Actually, I think we're close to 220 right now. Yeah. I should know the number by heart, but I don't. Yeah, that's a lot. I should know just because I have to do so much work with all my staff to make sure that this all gets done. It's put up there (laughs) and cataloged and categoried and all Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, Uploads and all kinds of promos and uh, going on to our YouTube channel also mm-hmm. over time. Okay. So yeah. there's a, a way people can have closed captioned versions of the show as well. So we're nice. trying to have it available in all formats so everyone can access the Excellent. information. That's good. That's yeah. good. And we always go out of our way to have on mm-hmm. good quality guests talking yes. about good topics. And, mm-hmm. and uh, today, today we'll is be, no different. That's right. We're going to be uh, talking about some things going on in Olympia yes. that you may or may not like. And we aren't talking about the real estate market, although mm. their market down there is just as hot as the one at PR. You know what? It's it's everywhere. And mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, of course, you know, I work with clients. Everywhere is still but condos. <laughs> well, apart from that, yeah. Well, actually, I can't say that because it depends on where the condo is. Yeah, even with those. But I work with clients all over the country, and uh, we have one client that lost out on multiple offers in Virginia. I had mm-hmm. another one with multiple offers in Tennessee. have another one, multiple offers in Nevada. I mean, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona. Oh, yeah. Things going yeah, nuts. my colleagues and counterparts in all kinds of other states. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I'm staying in touch with many of them, and they're all running right. into the same thing. We just had a – actually, are you doing the loan with the Kansas City client? I No, no. There's Well, I did one. Okay. We, we just had one um, uh, close in, in – um, in Kansas, yeah, I'm and saying we Kansas, have City Kansas City. No, that's oh, okay. a that right. one's a okay. A they went with a local. One. Okay, I think they're using right. somebody local there. Okay, but yeah. that marketplace is same thing. It's I mean, it's just yeah. it's nuts. It's everywhere. Yeah, because people, most people can telecommute now. They can work anywhere, and well, they're buying most. anywhere. A well, lot, a lot, many, many people. Yeah. Can. Like I say, we have a, a K-shaped recovery. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, explain half, that to people. Sure, think about the letter K. Half of that, half of that K is going up, and half of that K is going down. And, and it, it's really like that. You know, mm-hmm. we have half the population are doing fine, some even better mm-hmm. than ever. You know, with, yeah. with COVID and others, um, especially working in the service industries, are, are, are not. You know, small businesses, yeah. you know, they're, they're, getting, they're getting pummeled. Yeah. And so, so it, it's a real mixed bag out there. But yeah. the folks that are on that upward, you know, trajectory on the K, you know, they're out there buying real estate like there's no tomorrow. Oh, good Lord, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yep, so yep, yep. What, what will be interesting is looking forward what happens when forbearance programs you know Mm -hmm. you know sunset what happens when uh, eviction moratoriums and um, you know what's that going to do to our housing market what's that going to do Mm -hmm. to our economy and you know you and I have kind of been on record we think our our housing market's going to remain strong right and uh, you know as long as rates stay relatively low they are going to be higher this year than than Mm -hmm. last year we're already a little bit higher than we were a year ago I, I think, if anything, it's just going to suppress a little bit of the runaway 
you know, mm-hmm. pricing that's happening, which I know yeah. is something that we want to talk about some today. We've been that, through that before where the rate of increase decreases. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still an increase, but it's just not as much as it was. Right. Exa- well, I mean, a perfect example was when we had the slowdown from June 2018 to February of 2019 because mm-hmm. rates had gone up. Mm-hmm. They had. But it didn't completely stifle the industry. Not at all. Right. right. Like not we still all. continued forward. And then when those rates plummeted back down, yeah. that's when all heck broke loose right and then you know just it's like pouring uh, gas on a fire you know and yeah I, I, I actually so we were already in an uptick before covid hit yeah. and then again covid slowed us down for a few weeks that's about all and then it took, took off, off on a tear and that's mm-hmm. when even more of these like outlying areas that's when they really they had the hot. big jumps yeah they got hot yeah and you know i i would certainly welcome a a, a bit of a cooling Cooling mm-hmm. down, you know, uh, we, we could, I could throw we some could water on catch you. our breath. <laughs> Let's go jump in a lake, jump on a mud puddle. Um, one of the things that is impacting us right now from the financing side, those appraisals, you know, with this overheated mm-hmm. market, uh, appraisers have to use completed sales, closed sales right. to use as, as comparables to, you know, the price of the home you're trying mm-hmm. to buy. And it hasn't caught up. These sales, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily current when the appraiser is looking at a, a new listing that's being sold sold for 15 10 15 20 percent more than mm-hmm. its listed price so we are going to start to see some low appraisals we're already seeing mm-hmm. it a little bit well and we were talking about that in last week's show like listeners i'll give you some examples right because w- when you're hearing like oh they're going for like 10 20 percent over asking let's get some examples right yeah i'll give you a perfect one um i have Go a, for a client recently renton property mm-hmm. listed at 625 uh there were 40 offers on it our client got the one the offer at mm-hmm. seven thirty eight, mm-hmm. so it went from six twenty five to seven thirty eight, and um, and so that that's a problem because there are no comparable sales out there right now to justify a price of seven thirty eight. So when we got our appraisal in, what it, do you know? What year the house was? Um, it, it was an older home, nineteen sixty seven. Oh like wow, that is going to be yeah. A there's, challenge. there's nothing. I mean, you might find some that are that are closer to that price, but they're new. Well, no, a year and a half ago, mm, we yeah. sold one to a client that it was built in twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. and right. they paid like seven twenty five for it. Right, exactly. But and, and this this is a neighborhood that's not quite fairway, but it's pretty mm-hmm. close to that area. Oh yeah, I know exactly. And and so. So what we had an appraisal done. We got a sale price of seven thirty eight. The appraisal came in. The original appraisal came in at six ninety five, mm. and on a price of seven thirty eight. Mm-hmm. So I did actually. I didn't like that appraisal. I, I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy with the quality of it. I'll talk about that in just a sec. Okay. But yeah, because people um, don't know what the, you mean by quality. Right, but of it. we we disputed the value on that, and the appraiser came back and said, "Oh, you know what? You're right. I'll bring it up to seven o five." So mm-hmm. he brought it up ten thousand dollars, and um, and uh, you know still below my seven thirty eight sale mm-hmm. price. Well, appraisals have a quality score, and oh, right. it's called an SSR, and and that score ranges one through five, with one being the best and five being the worst. This appraisal came in at a five, uh, meaning okay. it had a high probability of of bad data in it and it had a high probability of being overvalued okay and, and so when that happens so uh, five is the negative five side that's bad. more like hurricane think of it like hurricanes it's, well because yeah. most people are used to seeing a five-star rating right, right. and they exactly. think that's a positive you're like golf so you're saying it's the other side <laughs> right exactly okay i just want to make sure it's yeah, very no, clear no, to anybody listening you got a it five right. is no bueno now when when i'm talking about this this is this is something that i will i will bet you that many loan officers don't look at this report 
It's called a Fannie Mae SSR. And, and if you don't look at that until the last minute, then you're going to run into trouble because if your score is low, if it's a three, four, or five, mm -hmm. it's going to require additional scrutiny. Yeah, I know, because you and I had one on we a did. property out in Port Orchard. We did. We that was joyful. We absolutely did. It's super, super fun. So it requires a third party to review the appraisal and tell mm -hmm. us if it's acceptable or not. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, it, it was the appraisal was deemed not acceptable. We had to do a second appraisal. And so the second appraiser comes out. He looks at the property. Again, my sale price is 738 mm -hmm. The original appraisal came in. Well, we got it up to 705 mm -hmm. The new appraiser says 645 Oh, jeez. Guess which one the lender's going to want to use. The lower We're one. We're going to use the lower one. So we have a sale price of 738 and appraisal is 645 So they now, can't go back to the other one because this other guy has just said, no, nope, and, that one was. And, and as a lender, there's a rule, there's a mm -hmm. thing called appraisal shopping where we mm -hmm. just can't, like, keep getting more appraisals until right. we're happy yeah, with yeah, one. Yeah, right. At some point, we just have to draw the line. Right. And I, honestly, the 645 um, on an original sale price of 625 mm -hmm. it, it looked okay. You mean it, a list it, price. The list price, I'm sorry. Yeah, it looked mm -hmm. okay. Um, and, and it, and Which, it, frankly, for that age of home, is probably appropriate. more appropriate. It really because, like I just said, a 2017 house that has all the brand new features right. of a home and has a newer roof and everything else. Right. That at 725 totally makes sense. But yep. one that's what you're describing, you know, there's no way. Right. And and so in in this case, um, now this is a buyer that mm -hmm. when they wrote their contract, um, what's the form? The twenty two A B A D A D. So they did the additional yeah. funds. So yes, yeah, so so there's okay. a part of the contract that this says is if big the topic right now if the appraisal comes in low, mm -hmm. uh, that guarantee. we we guarantee you know up to X dollar amount mm -hmm. that we will still move forward with the transaction. Mm -hmm. So when I had the conversation with the client well, about this, let's hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's be clear about that. It says that there is a guarantee depending on a couple of things because they may mm -hmm. not have enough to get you to right. that. Like, let's use your example. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, did your, well, let me ask first. Did your clients have that form in place and for how much? They did, and they, they had it in place up to $100,000 okay. because they knew Okay. On a home listed at six twenty five, and mm -hmm. they're coming in at seven thirty eight. They knew uh -huh. they were coming in guns blazing, and right. that there was a probability okay. uh, of this happening. So they they weren't super surprised by it. They they were actually okay with it. Mm -hmm. And and but what I did, you know, I spent quite a bit of time kind of working my numbers and everything. Mm -hmm. um, originally, they were going to put twenty percent down, which would yep. have been a loan amount about five ninety. Um, mm -hmm. I was able to actually just lower their loan amount, maybe about five thousand dollars. I took them to what's called a conform and conventional mm -hmm. level, and um, and my my loan to value went from eighty percent, meaning mm -hmm. my loan is eighty percent of the of the um, the purchase price. It went to ninety percent. Mm -hmm. So, um, meaning they're doing ten percent down. Essentially, it looks like ten percent down. Mm -hmm. So, I wasn't really requiring them to bring in a whole bunch of extra cash at closing, mm -hmm. uh, but but it does bring in one thing: my loan uh, to value ratio goes from eighty percent up to ninety, mm -hmm. which normally means there's PMI required right. on the loan added to the monthly payment. Um, we have a program where there's no PMI, and uh, it's it's called a lender paid program, and I was able to put them on that, and there wasn't a huge difference to their monthly payment. It went up a little bit, but mm -hmm. but not a lot. How so do they do that? 
it's it's a it's just a special program. It's called EPMI. It's not something that every lender offers, but we okay. do. And so rather than adding PMI to the monthly payment, there's a little bit of an add to the interest rate, about an eighth okay. of a percent. Okay. And um, but in this case, it worked out pretty well for them. Uh, but I, I bring this up because um, we're going to be struggling with appraisal values, not just our company, every company out there. And I want to hash more of this out. needs to look at the quality of that mm -hmm. appraisal report. Well, I would love to cover some more of this when we get back. And then I know we do have a guest today, but uh, let's make sure we hash out this appraisal issue before uh, we move on to our guest. You good with that? I'm good with that. All right. We'll be back. Open House with Team Reba on AM 1590. The answer. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Eric Osnes from Homebridge Financial Home Mortgage. And I'm Reba Haas from Team Reba. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. We're here every Saturday from 2 to 3 o'clock bringing information on real estate and finance. And on Sundays from 3 to 4. That's right. And also on podcast. <laughs> Just crack up. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Just ask, ask Alexa. She'll tell you. Ask Alexa. <laughs> Ask Alexa. Say that five times fast. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't have an Alexa, so I never, I don't ever ask her anything. I don't even have Siri. No. No. Oh well, well I don't have an iPhone. Well, uh, th th that's they right. have this dumb thing called Bixby on my phone, but I really, uh, I've never yeah, been a Bixby. fan of it. I've never yeah. used it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of goofy. Yeah. Well, what but, can you, what can you do? Yes. Speaking of goofy, uh, we. Oh. <laughs> We Great segue. Have, I want, I'm talking about Olympia, Olympia, oh, okay. Washington. <laughs> I'm like, not about our guest. Not about our guest. No, <laughs> heavens no. We've got on the line with us Kyle Woodring, who is the Director of Government Affairs at the Rental Housing Association of Washington. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm glad you guys have prompted me to be goofy. So, <laughs> Well, we know you said you were born ready, so get yeah, ready right. to get goofy, wouldn't, I guess. <laughs> wouldn't be the first time you, you on the show. It kind of got to be this time of year, for A sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Kyle, uh, we're really glad to have you on the show. And on, on our, our show, we've been talking over the years about some mm -hmm. things going on in Seattle, and it's spread to yes. the – to the whole state, which mm -hmm. I've sort of coined as a war war on landlords, really. You know, where a majority of our landlords out there are, are mom and pop operations. They own one, mm -hmm. two, you know, rental homes, and they're really being impacted by some things going on in Seattle and Olympia. And the Rental yeah. Housing Association, I mean, you guys have, have, have really been working hard, you know, to try and help represent uh, landlords and uh, – and kind of, you know, stem the damage a little mm -hmm. bit. Well, that's um, why he's prepared for Goofy. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Because that's what's happening. So, so Kyle, my understanding is there are um, some new things. I mean, we've we've hashed out a lot of stuff about eviction moratorium. So I know we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But uh, I believe the main reason Eric wanted to try and get you on for today was to go into some of the new house bills that are out there. Yes, so uh, that's exactly right. During the legislative session, which started in January and ends uh, the third week of April, um, one of the goals of, of the folks that make policy down there is to find a way to turn off the eviction moratorium. And so that, of course, means that they need to pass policy that uh, some of it permanent um, and some of it more uh, COVID emergency based, I'll say, that, that focuses on the next two years and sort of the recovery. And so the idea is that if the legislature passes a couple bills, 
um, then the governor can uh, move away from, from eviction moratoriums and, and get back into a return to normalcy is, of course, the idea. Um, but, uh, of course, the devil is in the details on those, and it's been very controversial, uh, very contested as far as how to find a way to get uh, housing providers and, and tenants to, to get the policies that they need to sort of get back to normal. So um, it, it's a fluid situation. It, it, you know, the bills change every day, and I'm happy to happy to talk about where they are and sort of what we're doing here. Yeah, please, because there's two. There's uh, Now, I think, did, did one already pass? I, I'm bad on the numbers. Is it 5162? So there's there's two bills that most people talk about, 5160. Okay. Uh, that's a Senate bill, Senate Bill 5160, and then uh, a House Bill 1236, which is uh, the, the Just Cause Bill, it's commonly called. There's several other policies out there. Um, some have passed, some have uh, been put down, but those are still the two big bills that are kind of being debated, and, and both of them received public hearings last week, their second round of public hearings. Right. I've seen. I've kind of followed some of that on, on the um, RHAWA um dot org uh, website where you kind of kind of have keep keep track of everything so let's talk about 5160 first and what it is and what it does and how that's going to impact landlords sure so 5160 was the sort of the covid um emergency bill as it was as it was first uh dropped and and uh when it was introduced it had some some really aggressive uh regulations in it um, requiring housing providers to hold out for two years their, their units for rent, no matter what the tenant did, unless they were going to sell and move into the property. Um, so it had a two-year requirement on that. It also said that you can't um, get your property back based off of non-payment of rent during this COVID emergency period that we're in um, forever, that that regulation would apply. And so um, and that was really drastic. We had a lot of issues with, with those two policies, um, just two of, of maybe 30 or so policies that are in the bill. Um, but as the bills move through the process, it's changed considerably. And now um, most of what it does is, is, is it uh, sort of defines what a payment plan is, um, a repayment plan for COVID debt, and it sets forward um, some uh, legal counsel for uh, certain tenants. So um, similar to in a criminal proceeding, if you're in an eviction situation and, and you uh, meet some qualifications, there will be uh, some legal counsel there to assist the tenant. Um, and um, I guess the other big thing it does is it creates some screening protection so that when you screen a tenant, um, you're, you're not allowed to use uh, non-payment debt uh, or an eviction tied to that um, in, in your tenant screening going forward. So those are the, probably the biggest things that the bill does. Um, drastically changed, like I said, from from the original version of it. Well, even this is still a lot to unpack here. Um, let, let's let's start with the one I, I kind of find pretty controversial is legal counsel. So, mm-hmm. taxpayers, let me just make sure I understand this correctly. The taxpayers are providing legal assistance to the tenant uh, to battle a eviction. Would that kind of be accurate? Correct. Correct. It's a uh, it's for certain low income tenants that, that meet a certain income standard. Um, if similar to in a criminal proceeding, if they found themselves in a situation where they're facing an eviction, um, they would they would receive uh, some some legal counsel. And there's already um, some legal counsel in the process, but this funding would really increase the role that that that, that free attorney would have, um, you know, all the way through trial, um, which will 
both be funded by taxpayers. Right now, the, the fiscal allowance, I believe, is around uh, $20 million. Um, but also, uh, you know, will will increase the amount of time that we're in trial um, fighting over these issues, which, of course, increases the cost of an eviction, which um, is felt, you know, downstream in, in the cost of delivering housing and rent rates, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, both the state will be spending more and, and the cost of housing will, will probably increase uh, due to this policy. And that's very specifically targeted towards lower income. So it's going to hit the area where we already have a big affordable housing. Yeah. Issue already. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And this is statewide. This is a statewide uh, bill. This is statewide. The city of Seattle has considered doing something similar. They've tabled that. They tabled that as of yesterday um, for uh, a conversation later in the year. But, um, but yes, this bill, 5160, would, would create that statewide. There are some issues around making sure that um, low-income legal services are available across the state. Um, but, but uh, of course, in, in the counties around the Puget Sound, King County probably being the number one, so we're going to see most of um, this issue be, be played out. Well, I mean, I can kind of understand why they're – trying to offer it because if you are talking about the people who have the least amount of resources available to them, mm. they can't normally mm-hmm. afford an attorney anyway. I mean, I get it. Um, obviously. So just uh, FYI, Kyle, Eric and I don't always see eye to eye on every issue. <laughs> and sometimes the ones he brings up, I'm like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Why do, why are we having a problem with this one? Because I mean, I get that it would, uh, potentially, I mean, what, what do you think the likelihood is of people actually utilizing those funds? Oh, well, that's just good radio if you guys disagree, right? Um, I, <laughs> well, I, no, I, usually I, we just kind of battle it out because he's like my brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me see if I can, uh, let me see if I can stoke that a little bit. I think that, uh, I think a couple of things, I, I, I think number one, we, I didn't mention at the beginning, but the, the courts have, have started the process um, themselves. So not not the legislature making laws, but the courts controlling the rules of how you come to the court and file for an eviction. Okay. And so they've they've started a pilot program. It's called the ERP program. It was it was started over the summer, but it will continue for the next couple of years. And, and essentially, as you file an eviction, um, the housing provider and the tenant will be funneled into a, a process that seems like mediation, looks a lot like mediation where they'll get in the room and rental subsidies will be put at the center of the table and hopefully they can address that debt. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that's a court process. And so the legislature largely, I think, is, is sort of pointing towards that. I mm-hmm. Broadly, I would characterize the legislature's work as saying, look, there's a large amount of people that have, let's say, five, $6,000 in debt, something that or below. Well, let's take care of all of those folks, which is which is the, the most of the rental arrears. Let's take care of those folks by getting subsidies and spending that federal and, and raising some state money to get subsidies to them. But then for these other folks that are in a more controversial situation, there's not a lot of policy really other than sort of defining what a payment plan looks like. If the parties can't figure it out, they're sort of sent into the court process. And so how have they sort of – they both funded these dispute resolution centers to deal with that. And they've also sort of made this permanent change of, of getting the Office of Civil Legal Aid and, and some of the housing justice projects um, some funding to represent tenants in that. And so I think in a large way, the legislature sort of said, hey, courts, you figure out the tough ones, mm-hmm. um, and we'll fund you to do that. And, you know, that 
it's difficult to write policy. I understand that, but I returned to our previous comments that 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 sort of process creates more cost and in some ways can stand in the way of, of housing providers and tenants figuring it out on their own because they're being shuffled into a adversarial, you know, judicial process rather than trying to figure it out on their own. And I'm sure you guys have discussed issues around the eviction moratorium preventing uh, tenants and landlords from talking to each other. Um, mm-hmm. And we sort of see that continuing on these tough ones. Um, but, but yeah, I, I hear it every day from a member, from our members that are in five figures and rental arrearage and they're struggling to figure out what to do with the tenant. And, and the answer is you're going to end up over an eviction court in these new processes, sort of battling it out. Um, unless people aren't, aren't excited for that reality because they've already been enduring what, you know, 12 months or more, um, struggles because of COVID. Yeah. Well, right. we actually do have several different cases uh, just like that, and we've had some attorneys on to talk about it, but uh, we need to take a quick little break here, Kyle, sure. and we will be right back after these messages with Kyle Woodring from the Director of Government Affairs of Rental Housing Association of Washington. Thanks for listening. Open House with Team Reba on AM 1590. The Answer. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Reba Hass of Team Reba, Remax Metro East Side. And I'm Eric Osnes from Homebridge Financial Home Mortgage. And we have with us still Kyle Woodring, the Director of Government Affairs from Rental Housing Association of Washington. Thank you again for being here. Yeah, thanks so oh, much yeah. for joining us, Kyle. Um, no, thanks for having me. Hey, bef- so just before the break, we're talking about a, a couple things, but um, you're talking about payment plan. And, and so... Can I just make sure I understand that correctly? Somebody, um, I mean, if there's a, a moratorium on evictions, we do have folks that are unable to, or in some cases, unwilling to pay their rents. Mm-hmm. And during that time, that doesn't mean they don't owe that money to the landlord. It means though they don't have to pay it until the end of the, I believe it's the emergency period, as declared by the governor. And and then beyond cool. beyond that, then the landlord should be able to collect the back rent or at least attempt to collect the back rent they but they are required to provide a payment plan before they look at other remedies have i kind of got that right um yes uh i just added you just a slightly um and maybe you said this and i just didn't hear you right but under the governor's order you can't remove anybody from a piece of property but you can mm-hmm. go after that debt and pursue that debt if you offer them a payment plan the bill uh, 5160 that, that we're talking about considers a world where that eviction ban doesn't exist anymore, and and so, so you have to offer a payment plan before you can pursue an unlawful detainer and and return your property. So they're slightly different, although they address the same same rental arrearage, the same debt. Okay, I'm going to ask a question that came up when we had Ryan Weatherstone on. How are they handling it for that large number of people who had to leave the area during COVID? And who actually aren't physically in the units, but their belongings are still there. It's that's a huge problem if you have it. Um, uh huh. And, and frankly, under the eviction ban that we're still operating under, operating under, your hands are really tied. Um, and and that's that situation. You you pretty much return to normal um, once the, once the eviction ban is lifted. There there are some rules in fifty one sixty that. If you offer a payment plan to the tenant and the tenant doesn't respond and defaults on that payment plan, then you have an opportunity to pursue your normal remedies. And so while it will take longer and there's more hoops to jump through, um, both 
in the law and at the courts, um, you can go back to that normal process of, of getting getting control of your property again once the eviction ban lifts. So, quick question for you, because you mentioned earlier that there are some. It sounded like other um, situations, such as if someone is planning to move into the property or to sell the property. What if, what if that is the situation with a person who's got their stuff there? Well, that's uh, a situation to be litigated. I would say if somebody has their stuff in there, I think that you're able to get an eviction under the eviction ban. Um, currently, uh, under the state's uh, eviction ban, currently, if you're selling a property and moving into it yourself, and I think that has to do with some constitutional property rights that exist in Washington. Um, now, we've seen the courts argue that the federal ban prevents that. We've also seen uh, that federal ban be overturned in other states. Um, the city of Seattle sort of silent on this issue of whether or not you can uh, get your property back through an eviction for sale and moving into yourself. So it's really a gray area, sort of wild west area, and kind of depends on what court you're in. Um, Frankly, I hear different news uh, every week as these individual cases um, go in front of judges. But, but yeah, it's certainly a problem. We've had where folks have been tenants abandoning the situation, and then the housing provider doesn't know what to do. Uh, So they want to move into the property or get another person in the unit. That's been a real problem, Mm -hmm. and a lot of remedies. Wow. Yeah, I've been very curious as I see, because um, this was something that we've talked about on our show before, that there was several years that we didn't have any like small multifamily properties mm-hmm. selling at mm-hmm. all. Like it was maybe like a couple of a year that would mm-hmm. come up in the multiple listing service. But the last few years since we've had like crazy town and <laughs> city of Seattle mm-hmm. council, um, there's been large numbers <laughs> of these small rental properties that are for sale and it's some pretty big numbers, and um, I just I don't see that being tempered back at all by what's been what's happening. I mean, in fact, I think if anything, if someone has an opportunity and they've got paying tenants, they're like, get it off my hands, please. <laughs> I just want to yeah, prevent yeah. this <laughs> from happening to me. Interest rates so low, and, and there being so many buyers out there, I think mm-hmm. uh, data I've seen. Depends on the, the area of the city that you're talking about. You talk about Seattle, but mm-hmm. um, you know West Seattle, the West Seattle Bridge areas close to downtown, South Lake Union, those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're really struggling. Um, surprising because in a macro sense, the city is not struggling, but but in the near term, right? Um, lots of struggles there. Interesting. So uh, payment plan. Back to yes. payment plan. Okay. So <laughs> you must offer your your tenant a payment plan. Um, can you charge interest on that? Cannot charge interest, cannot charge late fees. Okay, that's what I thought. Point. All right. And, and it's it's currently capped at one-third of the monthly rent, is, is as high as the payment plan can go. And right now in the legislation, there's no cap on the amount of time that takes. So obviously, the one-third is a low payment level, may go on for a long period of time. Um, Okay. Which may lead to an eviction under the these under the current rent. That meaning like they're paying now and whatever they still owed? And yeah, that's on so top of? On top of. So they, they, they pay now the current rent, then then the payment plan would have to be at the most one third of that rental um amounts to okay. pay off that debt. Got it. Now didn't the original version of fifty one sixty also have uh, limits on how much rent could be increased after the COVID emergency is lifted? 
that was a different bill, Senate Bill 5139. But yes, it had a it was rent control for six months uh, after the emergency period over uh, ended, so no increase. Then the subsequent six months, a three percent cap plus CPI cap on any increase. That bill did not make it out of committee in the Senate. Oh, okay, okay, got it. So that one's that one's dead at least uh, for the time being. Big look of relief on Eric's face over there. <laughs> well, I, I, that one kind of did get my hackles up just a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, just oh, yeah. A, just a, just a bit. And uh and I do I do know also um just just um last week I believe uh Mayor Durkin for Seattle extended the Seattle eviction moratorium, yeah. you know, to the end of June thir- or the end of June. Uh, Correct. Do you think that's going to go statewide as well? Uh, I would anticipate that the governor extends uh, the the eviction moratorium for a a short amount of time. It's up March 31st, and and as we're talking about here, the session ends third week of April. And so all these bills have an emergency clause written into them, so they go into effect as as soon as they're signed. Mm -hmm. Um, But but my guess would be at least through the spring, if not some portion of the summer, that that moratorium is extended to get these get these programs up and running and, and wow. uh, we haven't we haven't talked a lot about rental assistance today but hundreds of millions of dollars have sort of been approved at the state level from the feds to funnel to local governments now too so there'll be a real effort to sort of keep the eviction moratorium going i believe while these processes start up um and you know there's a lot of promises going on right now we have to see how they actually both how the regulations are policed and and also how that money actually gets on the street to people um, it's been a struggle in the past. That's my question. I mean, the, it seems like these will maybe assist the tenant, um, but nothing really there to support the landlord. They're kind of on their own. I suppose if the tenant's able to pay some rent, that's good. Well, I mean, isn't that yeah. the point? If, if it's well, housing assistance, then mm-hmm. isn't it to be spent on that specific? It depends on the mechanism. You know, if, if they're actually, yeah. you know, if, if uh, someone's given money, are they actually going to pay it to the landlord? You know, or, or how is that mechanism set up? You know, it could be something like a, I don't know, if, um, Kyle, would, you, would this be something like, a, I don't know, Section 8 housing where the government pays a portion of the rent? Yeah, it, very similar. Not, not, not to Section 8 where it's, where it's paying up front. This is, this is more of a, a rental arrearage, right? So folks yeah. are going to take their, their pay or vacate notice or their payment plan to either to local governments, if the local government has a program, or to um, nonprofits that we're all familiar with that, that, that hand out the subsidy money. And so they'll take that there. I don't think there's going to be a lot of issues about the tenant putting that money in their pocket. That's going to go to the housing provider. It's much more about education, access, and then, of course, the strings attached to taking those subsidies. Often, often there are rules around, hey, if you take this rental assistance, housing provider X, um, you know, you have to guarantee the tenancy, you have to give up the debt, you have to agree to um, you know, work out a, a long-term situation to preserve the tenancy with the tenant. And some of that has to do with the money itself. I mean, the CARES Act federal money was not designed necessarily to keep a housing provider healthy financially. It was designed to keep tenants under roofs. Well, we're moving past that period now, and, and you know, we believe that there needs to be more focus on keeping the financial viability of the unit um, secure because, as we are talking about previously, if you have to sell the unit, because you can't afford to, to keep it going, mm-hmm. um, that's no better situation for the tenant than you know than mm-hmm. if they're addicted for non-payment. In fact, in lots of ways, it's worse. There's a shorter pathway to not having housing there. But Plus you know, it's, I, it's, I really soapbox this issue. So. Yeah, well, it's worse for rent costs overall because if you're that you know if you have landlords that are saying I, I I'm done with this, I'm fed mm-hmm. up, I can't do this anymore. 
you know, they're not going to sell that home to a another landlord. It will become an owner-occupied property, and then you have that fewer number of homes in the rental pool. And, um, you know, that's well, going to push on rents the higher property, or, yeah. even further. Well, or even if they are selling and it's, you know, more of an institutional-like investor, mm. the the Whole amounts, well, the, the yeah. amounts that they're asking for on these places right now are pretty astronomical. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way when yeah. you look, I mean, we've said this many times on this show, I look at the rent rolls as they're selling these units and they're not market rate rents. They mm-hmm. are yeah. all affordable housing level price points where it's that's right eight fifty nine ninety five ten fifty twelve hundred i mean it's rare i see anything over two thousand dollars oh we joke about it say oh yeah. well this is renting for you know twelve hundred mm-hmm. now but you could get fifteen for it or mm-hmm. whatever it is you know it's always renting for less than whatever well, the because they'll market. say long-term tenants mm-hmm. and that's the whole thing it's the yeah. person who's owned that for a long time who now is selling it and, you know, yay, I guess good for them. They're getting their equity out and then they're taking that money somewhere else. But that means those tenants, because they'll frequently say in that ad, month to month, opportunity to raise rents, you know, value added property here. Uh, I mean, I mean, right. That's all the, all the code words that are out there of like, kick these people out and bring somebody else in. And I'll even have, you know, loads and loads of these agents that, I think are pushing the envelope on stuff about fair housing because I'll say close to this and this kind of high tech business. Yeah, good stuff. Well, we've got Kyle Woodring here, Director of Government Affairs for RHAWA. Kyle, would you be able to stay on for one more segment? We got a few more questions for you. Oh, sure. Happy to be here. All right, awesome. We'll be right back. More open house at Team Revive. Open house with Team Reba on AM 1590. The answer. Back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Eric Osnes from Homebridge Financial Home Mortgage. And I'm Reba Hass from Team Reba. So thanks for listening in. We've got Kyle Woodring with us. Kyle's the Director of Government Affairs for the Rental Housing Association of Washington. And folks, if you are a landlord and you're not a member of RHA, you should be. Yeah. Uh, you know, the legal advice, the forms, the screening services Everything for an extremely, ridiculously low price. Yes. You should definitely look them up. Just go to rhawa.org and uh, and sign up. I'm on their website right now. <laughs> you can right. find all kinds of good information right there by county, statewide, legislative. It's all oh, good. just forms. You yeah, know, the forms they're, alone they're, are they're specific phenomenal. to your location. And if you rent to somebody and you don't have the right forms, Kyle, mm-hmm. t- tell them what happens. Well, you go into the bad place um, <laughs> where, where you're being where you're being regulated either by the city, where you're in a lawsuit, you're you're called a bad person in public. Um, it is not an area where uh, where you want to play around, in, in my opinion. Um, you're suggesting they don't just go online and Google lease agreements and get that off some, you know, like mass investor website or something like that? No, I would I would uh, recommend folks uh, use forms that are uh, put together by attorneys or a team of attorneys like ours at RHA, uh, or otherwise you're going to end up with an attorney eventually. And, so <laughs> and not the way you want. Them. Yeah, yeah, always cheaper to pay them before you need them uh, than, than when you do need them. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. We're big proponents. Absolutely. No, they, it's uh, those forms alone. They're just, they're, they're excellent. Oh, they're invaluable. Absolutely. Uh, So, so tenant 
screening, you know, when we're kind of talking about that, um, the mechanics of this, I'm, I'm still a little bit fuzzy on. So under under this new Senate Bill 5160, as a uh, a landlord, and I have a prospective tenant, how am I? So I can't I can't look at their rental payment history as a criteria for whether or not I rent to that person. Well, you, you can't look at rental payment history during the COVID period and use okay. that to either do adverse actions or change the terms or, or to deny tenancy. You also couldn't use an eviction during this period for non-payment of rent. Now, there haven't been a lot because of the eviction ban, but, um, but yeah, and, you know, I, I couldn't answer you how you're going to suss out that, how that may affect credit, FICO scores, et cetera. It's real... I mean, you look at the language in the bill and the conversation you have, you know, how is it, how is it practically going to be applied? I think there's some gray area there as far as how to make sure that this rental, non-payment rental history is or isn't during the COVID emergency period. Obviously, the dates help, mm-hmm. but, but you can't see that in all, all information. And so um, screening company like we have at RHA will have to sort of do that work for our members um, to try to figure that out and comply with the law, as we do with several of the other screening laws that are out there. Got it. Yeah, it's going to make it just that much more tricky, you mm-hmm. know, for a landlord to kind of make that determination. Well, and I would recommend to our listeners um, that they go back and find our episode where we spoke with Ryan Weatherstone, mm-hmm. an attorney who's a landlord tenant attorney who mm-hmm. kind of addresses kind of dealing some with of those all of questions. That. Absolutely. As well. <laughs> okay, so come back, Government Affairs, House Bill 1236. What's that one all about? So uh, House Bill 1236 is um, what's commonly called the Just Cause Bill. So this deals with the termination of tenancy, not an eviction necessarily, but the termination of a tenancy. Um, as you guys have discussed, those month-to-month tenancies, um, current law outside of the city of Seattle and a couple other cities in the state, um, is with 20 days notice, either party can say, we're not going to continue this um, rental situation next month. And, you know, because that, that situation re-ups every month. Very different than being on a fixed-term lease, which is a contract that has a beginning date and an end date. And so um, this bill says that takes away that 20-day no-cause notice and says that there are only certain reasons why a housing provider can terminate that month-to-month tenancy. Very similar to what uh, the city of Seattle's had for a number of years. That's just cause. But more importantly, I think, for the industry and certainly for our folks at, at RHA, um, is, is another provision in the bill that essentially says that once you are on a lease, that initial lease term, the housing provider has one opportunity, one time, at the end of the initial lease term to terminate the lease and say this uh, negotiation, or, you know, this agreement, the situation's over here. Um, and, that, and the bill requires that that lease, if after that probationary period's over, automatically uh, uh, converts into a month-to-month and therefore cannot be terminated unless you use the just cause provisions. Um, and so in a lot of ways, this is really going to change the way leases are used and disincentivize housing providers from offering that, that longer-term, fixed-term lease because there's not a lot of advantages in the housing provider having the tenant under a lease because the lease doesn't end um, practically. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably the biggest change we feel in, in, frankly, in, in a number of years, sort of how housing is operated, if, if this mandatory lease renewal issue were, were, to, were to make it to, to the governor's desk and be signed into law. Okay, so let me make sure I understand it. Let's say I, mm-hmm. I have a, a tenant, I sign a one-year lease, 
And most leases, you know, have a clause in it that at the end of that one year, they automatically revert to a, a month-to-month situation. Um, what you're saying but is... But not all. But not all. Uh, but, but under this law, they pretty much all do. And uh, Yes. Other than that probationary period, they would automatically convert to a month-to-month. Thing. Okay. And under normal, if you're outside the city of Seattle in current law, once that lease converts to a month-to-month, well, the housing provider can provide and can can give a no cause termination notice, um, or they can offer them a new lease. Under under this bill, once that lease converted to a month to month, they would then have to meet a just cause criteria. Um, and and I remind you, we're talking about free attorneys sort of defending um, tenants. Uh, if if you give one of those just cause uh, uh, reasons, you say I'm going to terminate this tenancy, and here's my reason why, and this is legal under the law, and the tenant feels like I don't agree with that. Well, now you can go to court and fight over that in eviction court, and the tenant's going to have free legal representation um, in that scenario. And so, so there's probably going to be an increase in what we call holdover tenancy. That's a tenant who stays beyond the agreement and says, "Go ahead and evict me out of here." Uh, oh boy. So, what what are all the just cause options? The the just cause options in the bill currently are similar to other schemes that that are around the country. They are, and they're also similar to the unlawful detainer uh, uh, standards. So it's non-payment of rent, not complying with the rules, um, waste or nuisance. You want to move into the property, you want to sell it. Substantial rehabilitation. It's been condemned, or there's been some some requirement by a local government to do something on the property. You want to move a family member in. These are the causes um, that are in the law, the, the, which which fit a lot of the scenarios that people are looking to regain control of their property. The issue is, again, this, this sort of change that you have to go prove that in eviction court mm-hmm. unless the tenant agrees to, to, to leave. And, and that that's what really creates the cost and the burden of, hey, do I want to go through suing my way back into having this property in a year, particularly for our members who are more those smaller folks that, mm-hmm. you know, they aren't in the business of this. They found themselves in a situation where they have another property and right. they want control of that property. Right. Can I can I give you a question? Just kind of a scenario. Let's say that I've got a, sure. a I, I've got a month to month situation. I have I had my one year. I went past that. I'm now month to month. I want to convert this property to a Airbnb and just rent it out nightly. Mm-hmm. Under the these just cause rules, it, it sounds like I could not do that. You you can if you want to convert into an Airbnb. You're essentially closing the property. Okay. Um, how which just cause you would pick to do that is sort of up to you. You'd have to fit into one of those buckets. So right. one things you can move into the property wow. yourself. Yeah. Okay. But there is yeah. no Airbnb conversion um, no. just cause, mm-hmm. and so right. I say I'm renovating, or I'd have to yeah. renovate. Well, you it might have to renovate like to make it nice enough for an Airbnb. Yeah, that's probably t- true too. Typically, yeah. after most tenants. Wow. Um, so, is there any? I, we're about to run out of time here, uh, Kyle. Mm-hmm. But is there any negative? element for because i'm thinking about all my clients who want to buy a place who are under leases i don't know we might have to bring you back on i think so on another show to answer <laughs> yeah. this question yeah, but. we're just about out of time now so wow well thank you so much kyle for joining us today yeah. I, I learned a ton and i hope our listeners do as well well let's have you on again if if you're if you're willing happy to be there okay we'll keep you on unless you can provide just cause for not joining us again how's that (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you all and have a great weekend thank you for listening to open house with team reba 
To contact us, visit Team Reba at Remax Metro Eastside on Facebook or email info at TeamReba.com. Join us again next Saturday afternoon at 2 for more Open House with Team Reba here on AM 1590. The answer. Proceeding program was sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Homebridge Financial Services.